0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buker. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buker. Rick Buker. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buker. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me on the Fox Sports app and at foxsports.com. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places. But there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA, and that is here. Well, hello, friends. Has it really been two weeks since I dropped an episode? Yikes! That's easily the longest stretch I've gone since OTB began. And I must say, thanks for being patient. It's not as if there haven't been loads of happenings in the NBA to provide insight on. It's not a shortage of material that has been the reason for my absence. Quite the opposite. They've asked me to ramp up my writing role with FoxSports.com, and as a result, I've had a lot more to investigate and write about. That, along with a few other professional commitments that demanded my time over the last couple of weeks, has kept me from getting behind this particular mic. Fortunately, I have some exclusive info and material I can share with you here in this episode about everything that resulted in Donovan Mitchell winding up with the Cleveland Cavaliers and not the New York Knicks, as most fans and media and Knicks' front office personnel expected. And we'll also be dropping an episode next week, for sure, on Russell Westbrook and his status with the Lakers. Now, for those who didn't see my Twitter post, shortly after it was announced, the Cavaliers had traded Larry Markkinen, Colin Sexton, and rookie Ochai Abaji, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, along with three unprotected first-round picks in 2025, 27, and 29, all for Mitchell and just Mitchell. I was told about a week before the trade went down that the Jazz were so ticked at the Knicks that they might move Mitchell elsewhere for a lesser deal. This is at a time where we're wondering, is it going to happen? When's it going to happen? It seemed to be a fait accompli that Mitchell was going to end up with the Knicks. It was just a matter of when and for what. Well, it appears the Jazz did hold a grudge. The Knicks' last offer, I was told, was R.J. Barrett, Emmanuel Quickly, the Knicks' unprotected first-round picks in 24 and 26, the right to swap first-round picks in 25 and 27, Milwaukee's first-round pick in 25, I think there's a little bit of protection on it, and two second-round picks. Now, when I posted that, it prompted a lot of responses. Some were by fans claiming that the Cavs' offer was not a lesser deal, which is just wrong. Barrett and Quickly are a better combo than Markinen, now on his third team in six seasons. Sexton, who was a restricted free agent, that the Cavs were not going to extend, and he had no other suitors. And Agbaji is an unknown. A 22-year-old, 6'5 guard, taken 14th in the last draft. Even without Mitchell, the Cavs have the young talent to be a perennial playoff team, which puts all those picks, those unprotected picks, in the 20s. Now, the Knicks, had they moved RJ in quickly for Mitchell, are still a team that is more than likely to be drafting in the teens, whether they sneak into the playoffs or not. Two unprotecteds versus the three that uh, the Jazz got from the Cavs. To me, it's not very close. Especially then you have you also have the right to swap with New York. Basically controlling all of the Knicks picks for four straight years. I'd much rather take a shot at that. Looking at the history, especially recently, of the Cavs and the Knicks. Now, I've been told by several people in the league that the Jazz's new team president, former Celtic team president Danny Ainge, took exception to the Knicks' posturing for a year as if Mitchell was theirs for the taking. When Knicks VP William Wesley, known as World Wide West from his days being in LeBron's circle, attended the Jazz Mavericks first-round series and made his presence known by sitting courtside with Knicks forward Julius Randle. I mean, did he have to sit courtside? No. It was a show. The Jazz saw it as veiled tampering. And for those who may not know, Ainge has operated as an executive with the same competitive feistiness that he had as a player. As a Boston Celtic, he has particular enmity for the Knicks and the Lakers, as a former Boston Celtic, that is. I'm told that when the Clippers outmaneuvered the Lakers for Chris Paul, Ainge celebrated as if he had kept Paul from wearing the purple and gold himself. That's how deep Ainge's competitive fire goes when it comes to certain teams, especially. Throw in the inherent disdain he has For big city teams like the Knicks acting as small market teams like the Jazz aren't in their league. Keep in mind, Ainge went to BYU. He's more of a small market mentality guy than a big city guy in spite of all his years in Boston. But he was upset. The Jazz aren't supposedly in the Knicks league and any player in his right mind would rather play for them. And it's little wonder that he strung the Knicks along and then found a way to cut them out of the deal entirely. For fans who might find it hard to believe an executive would make a decision driven by spite, understand that Ainge is hardly alone. There are teams that won't even consider trading with other teams, regardless of the benefit. There are teams that will refuse to deal for the players of certain agents, there are grudges galore held around the league they're usually just not as apparent as what Ainge did to the Knicks if you're wondering why the Knicks last offer wasn't as robust as an earlier one at least one that has since been reported that included Mitchell Robinson Obi Toppin and and basically almost anything the Jazz wanted I'm told it's for two reasons one they were convinced that the Jazz were stuck, that no one was willing to make an offer comparable to what they were offering at the end, and that the summer soon to be over, the Jazz, knowing they couldn't keep Mitchell, despite what they were telling executives around the league, which was that they were happy to hold on to him. And maybe they were, but Mitchell wasn't ready to stay. So the Knicks were counting on the fact that training camp's right around the corner, They still haven't moved Mitchell. Nobody else has stepped up and made an offer. And so maybe we don't have to give away the farm. And so that's why their last offer was structured the way it was. And they didn't know that Cleveland was just waiting there and that the Jazz had the ability to pivot. I wonder how long the Cavs were sitting there waiting because Utah made a pretty quick pivot. Also keep in mind that the earlier offer with Mitchell Robinson and R.J. Barrett was made before those two re-signed with the Knicks. So, them not having signed long-term contracts put them in a different category in terms of their value or the Jazz's interest in acquiring them. The second reason that, or maybe the third reason, that the Last offer by the Knicks wasn't as robust, is because Knicks owner Jim Dolan had second thoughts about stripping his team practically bare just to get Mitchell. He had presided over the deal that brought Carmelo Anthony to New York. And when I mean presided, I mean he was the only guy in the room when the final terms were negotiated. And that was another deal that cost the Knicks a boatload of young talent and draft picks, including two first-rounders and the right to swap a third. The Knicks subsequently made the playoffs three times in seven seasons with Carmelo, getting out of the first round once, and I assure you that is not what Jim Dolan expected for what he gave up. He expected a lot more. A shadow player... In the talks between the Jazz and Knicks was Gerson Roses, a former executive for both the Timberwolves and Rockets. Now he's listed as a consultant for the Knicks, but I'm told he was heavily involved in the talks. He was the GM in Minnesota when Knicks coach Tom Thibodeau was the head coach, and he has close ties with the Knicks team president Leon Rose. Former agent for Timberwolves Star Center Carl Anthony Towns. And one other side note to tuck away. There were reports that the Knicks at one point were willing to part with almost anyone except first-year shooting guard Quentin Grimes. Curious, right? You're gonna get let you're good with RJ going out the door, Toppin going out the door, quickly going out the door, but not Grimes. Now, I was told by several sources that Thibodeau was the one who didn't want Grimes included. No one could say exactly why. Grimes is a 6'5 shooting guard who played 46 games for the Knicks, averaging 6 points a game. Now, the bigger question, or the most interesting aspect of this is, if I know that, then I'm pretty sure Toppin, Quickly, and Barrett are aware of that fact. That they were not untouchables, but Grimes was. And maybe it never becomes a thing. But you can be sure that all those players are going to keep a close eye on how Tibbs treats Grimes versus how he treats them. As I said earlier, never underestimate the amount of sensitivity and spite that exists in the NBA at every level. The Knicks fans I've heard from are divided on not getting Mitchell. Some are irate that once more their team missed out on landing a targeted star. Some are relieved the Knicks didn't deal RJ and quickly and are okay with Dolan refusing to sell the farm for Mitchell. Others are simply upset that Ainge appeared to toy with them and their franchise and then left them holding the bag. It's a smooth move by the Cavs, by any measure although it too doesn't come without a certain peril darius garland and jared allen were first-time all-stars and i would expect that they are looking to capture that honor again evan mobley is another young big who no doubt has his eyes set on being recognized in similar fashion and i have to think donovan is looking to star in cleveland as well now i don't think any of them have egos big enough to let their personal aspirations get in the way of the team's success, and head coach JB Bickerstaff did an admirable job getting everyone last season to buy into sharing the ball and playing top-10 team defense. But those are a lot of mouths to feed. Karis LeVert is also still on the squad. And Ricky Rubio. And Kevin Love. I can see them being a very good regular season team. But this really is a compilation of good talent, not necessarily great talent. We'll see what Garland eventually evolves into, or Mobley. But as of right now, those are just good players. Very good players, maybe, but just good players. And the backcourt of Garland and Mitchell is... One that the best teams in the East should be able to exploit in the postseason. And neither Lavert nor Rubio offer any defensive relief off the bench, per se. I can see the Cavs. This is the trickiest part. I can see them being a very good regular season team. Winning 50-plus games. Competing for a playoff seed that gives them home court advantage. I can see all of that. But then I could also see them getting upset in the first round or possibly making it to the second, depending on the matchup. And where does all this leave the Knicks? I was never of the mind that Donovan, sharing the backcourt with newly acquired Jalen Brunson, was going to make them anything close to a bona fide contender. It's two shooting guards with passing skills, Jalen Brunson's IQ higher, Undersized at, for both positions, to be honest. It says a lot that the Jazz title odds and projected win total fell further when Rudy Gobert was dealt to Minnesota than Mitchell going to Cleveland. Also gives you an indication of just what the talent coming back from Cleveland is viewed as, considering it didn't really move the needle at all. Oddsmakers had Rudy Gobert representing a 5-6 to win swing for the two teams involved. And Mitchell is projected as a three-win difference. Three fewer for the Jazz from 30 to 27, and three more for the Cavs, pushing them to 48 or 48.5, depending on which book you look at. That's not a whole lot. And what does it say that even with Donovan Mitchell... The Jazz were then projected without Gobert to be a 30-win team. Now, none of that is a massive impact, but all of it seems about right. Donovan had his best year playing alongside Rubio as a rookie, so that's certainly a reason to believe he could recapture what he once was but how much is he going to play alongside Rubio compared to Garland? And Rubio is 32 this season and coming back off a tourney ACL. Who he will be when he returns is far from certain. Now before I address the Knicks' biggest challenge right now, I have to tell you about the company that I swear by when it comes to men's clothing. My sponsor, Mizen and Main. They make men's fashionable clothes out of performance wear material. My slacks and dress shirts are spiffy enough that I wear them on TV. And it's basically all I wear now on TV. Because it has the comfort of the gear I wear for workouts. Now there are a number of companies that have started making similar clothing. But I haven't found anyone with the fit, the designs, the price, or the customer service that Mizzen and Main offers and I'm so convinced that you will agree if you try them out that I want you to check out their catalog at Mizzen and Main, that's M-I-Z-Z-E-N-A-N-D M-A-I-N dot com and use the promo code BUKER35 for $35 off your first purchase. That's B-U-C H-E-R-3-5. You're welcome. Now, the biggest question concerning the Knicks is what they do now to acquire the star that Dolan is supposedly eager to bring to Madison Square Garden and that he expected to get by hiring Rose, whose connections or representation of Devin Booker and Mitchell and Carl Anthony Towns was supposed to deliver by now. Well, here's the reality. The Knicks are inherently flawed in ways that couldn't possibly be resolved in one offseason, even if Rose delivered one of those stars. A lot of teams, maybe most teams, are flawed in some way, but they don't carry the expectations that the Knicks carry. It's kind of remarkable, considering how long they've been mediocre or worse. We're talking decades That there is this fervent belief that they are one move one acquisition from return to their glory years in the what the 70s and the 90s or that stars are attracted to new york the way moths are to a bright light as in they just can't help themselves it's not true and it hasn't been true for a long long time donovan mitchell He wanted to come back because that's where he grew up. Uh, Carmelo Anthony, he wanted to come back because he was born in Brooklyn. Like, there's always been connections above and beyond just the glamour and glitz and business opportunity of New York. It's not often I've ever said this, but Dolan was right not to give away the farm to get Donovan Mitchell. The Knicks have some nice young players not unlike the Cavs, with a surplus of first-round picks to add a quality player or two. The inherent flaw is that they have a veteran coach who, while he might be good in his own right, has never shown an inclination or propensity for developing young players, for taking a collection of decent players and making them greater than the sum of their parts, which is the challenge, the objective the target, the goal, for the New York Knicks as currently constructed. There's also never had an owner or a fan base that has the willingness to accept incremental gains. I'm not even sure Knicks fans or Dolan would be happy to have a team like the Cavs, a young team that has, well, just had its first winning record in four seasons and then got summarily bounced in the play-in tournament. Didn't make the playoffs. The Knicks had an old team that had its first winning record in eight seasons two years ago, made the playoffs, and it wasn't seen for what it was. A flash in the pan. It was, this is the first step toward, what, greatness again. Until everyone in New York understands... That there are no shortcuts to where they want their team to go. That their growth has to be internal. And that they are not one superstar away from returning to glory. They will continue to fall short. Like someone mashing the gas pedal in a four-cylinder car until the engine ceases. Incremental improvement should be their mantra. Making themselves attractive not because of the building they play in or the city they play in, but because of how they play the game and carry themselves and the opportunity that is provided, that they're going to get better. And they're going to play for bigger things than just where they play. Look at the Warriors and some of their younger players and the, uh, the interest In staying, Kevon Looney staying for less money. Why? Because he's part of a great culture, a great program. New York has to start thinking in that way. Like we're not assuming people just want to come because of where we are, our location. That works in geography, or that rather that works in real estate. That doesn't work when it comes to basketball. Not. Now, they have to invest in a coach who isn't necessarily a big name with a big reputation, but someone who can cultivate young talent, develop assets the old-fashioned way, rather than the quick fix. Will it ever happen? Will that message ever get through to Jim Dolan? We shall see. All right, that does it for this episode of on the ball on the United Wecast Network. It is so good to be back. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And as I said, next episode is going to be about Russ Westbrook and why he needs them and they need him on equal measure. All that in the next episode. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening.